Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. This is episode number 182. I'm your host, Phil. Logan and I are on the show today, and we're going to talk about uh, fixing up old tools, uh, working in your shop in the winter, and finding out what your gluing comfort zone is. The podcast is brought to you by Shop Notes Magazine, oddly enough, and it's a digital four times a year magazine dedicated to people who enjoy spending time in their shop as much as we do. So you want to check it out at shopnotes.com. Four issues for $20. And we've completed our first ish or first year back, and we have a special book that collects every issue uh, into one single printed volume. You can find that as well, shopnotes.com. All right, I want to get going by a couple of comments that I got. A few episodes ago, late last year, I was talking about spending time in my shop, uh, getting my drill press in better shape. Yeah, situated. Situated. I made a bit rack for it and didn't really do like a full tear down, but spent some time on the motor and the pulleys and got a return spring for it because I didn't have one, blah, blah, blah. In fact, and and it works delightfully now. It's much mm-hmm. quieter, much more stable. Um, and I wrote about it in the editor's letter from Woodsmith. And I got a couple of comments, which shocked me because I didn't think anybody really read those. <laughs> I know. I always, I'm always like, you just wasted your time reading that one night when I put one in Bob Wood. Yeah. Like, huh. Yeah. So, and I would like to, because <laughs> you know that feeling where you're like, I'm spending a lot of time writing this and I don't know how many people actually read it. So I know got a couple of comments. I want to read those that I think are related to it. Uh, this one from Richard Piper. He says, I go in streaks regarding shop maintenance. I have a Delta Unisaw that has served me quite well for the last 24 years. Other than occasionally blowing the dust from the trunnions and waxing the top every few years, I've done nothing and its performance is spot on. I replaced the straight knives on a 733 DeWalt planer with a spiral helical head whose performance has been nothing short of miraculous since. Now I have a jointer project. I was given a 1971 Powermatic 8-inch jointer. It was cutting okay, but needed tweaking. The outfield table was frozen. I ordered a new spiral cutter head, changed out what I believed to be the original V-belts, and took apart the outfeed belt bed. I'm waiting for a new cutter head and suspect that when installed, the jointer will be better than new. It has been a fun journey. Which I think you would probably agree with that, Logan, considering your recent Delta jointer. Yeah. Yeah, like... They're not always set up exactly right from the factory. And especially if you buy it secondhand, you never know what the monkey before you did. So you might as well start swinging from that tree yourself. Right. And I feel like um, even if they were set up from the factory within the ballpark, you Mm -hmm. don't know what happened in between factory and retailer and original owner. There's a long time in a shipping container. Yeah. And... If you've ever seen some of those shipping container, like freighters, like in the ocean, like the amount they swing and stuff getting rattled around. Like, yeah, they're supposed to be packaged nicely. 
They probably aren't. I mean, yeah. they said something about like they lose, I don't remember, like two or 3,000 containers into the ocean every year. Yeah. Like, hmm. So, like, I mean, yeah, you never know. I mean, and even even if it lands stateside and it's fine, no damage or anything, there's a lot of moving that has to happen from the port to your shop. Yeah. So stuff right. can get bumped. It can get, you know, a, a hard hard bump in the pickup truck on the way home could knock a, a table out of alignment from the blade a little bit. Like, you never know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. But, yeah, I think the... I mean, we upgraded one of our Delta jointers here with a spiral cutter head and mm-hmm. they're just amazing, amazing tools. Yeah. And you know, the, the Rikon one that we have and now the Grizzly jointer planers with a spiral cutter head. I think probably the biggest thing is how much it eases, uh, stock preparation yeah yeah because you know in the past you're like which way do i feed this across because i don't want it to just tear the crap out of the grain Mm -hmm. and now it's like it doesn't it doesn't Doesn't really matter yeah you just kind of just pick up the next one and fling it through yeah i also feel like and maybe this is just i don't know maybe i'm not i don't know I feel like it's also easier on the user using a helical head. Like, I feel like it cuts cleaner. I feel like it cuts easier. Like, I don't feel like I'm like, yeah, applying the amount of force to the workpiece to get it through a helical head. Like I do a straight knife. I would agree with that. You know, yeah. like it just feels like it feeds a lot easier. I feel less worn out after a day of, you know, prepping sock than I do on a straight knife. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're, you're feeding it against the rotation of the cutter head. And sometimes it just feels like you're pushing it up a hill. Yeah. Well, with and this, with straight knives. Yeah. And that's, I mean, kind of the, the reason why industry went away from um, square cutter heads, which used to be the standard. So back in the, you know, 18 to 19, early 1900s, um, square cutters were easier to manufacture. They were generally two or four knife cutters. Um, most of them were two knife cutter square heads and the biggest problem with those, actually I have a friend in Des Moines that I'm trying to sell his, he has a Fane Egan 12 inch jointer that I'm trying to sell for him. And the comment I keep getting is it's a square knife cutter head and they're, they're known to kick back. They're known to, because technically you only have two cutters and with the square, geometry you can actually feed that board fast enough that you catch it in between the corner of the cutter head and the the table and not a blade um so with that in mind i feel like there's a little more you know chomping action that happens with straight knives because it's like yeah cut no cut cut no cut cut no cut and that's you know that's why they can maintain speed and and draw less amps than a, a spiral cutter head um, where the spiral cutter heads just take a lot of little nibbles, you know, it's just doing this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I always, I just always feel like it's, it's easier on me if I'm using a heel clad. Right. No, that's fair. I mean, I remember that with, uh, some of the router bits my dad had when I was a kid learning to use a router, you know, where they yeah. just, they were more wing shaped. They didn't have the 
bigger solid body, which was like the anti-kickback or whatever design. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like those bits wanted to just kind of chomp. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So another comment here. No, where did that little one go? Come on now. Here it is. James writes, wanted to comment on your from the editor sawdust i can relate to keeping my tools in top running condition the month of january is my machine and hand tool maintenance time i clean and lubricate all of the elevation screws and guide rods on all my machines clean the tables and apply a coating that protects them from rust and helps the material glide across the table i also take the time to sharpen all of my hand plane irons eight of them and my chisels to a razor sharp edge nothing more aggravating than reaching for a hand tool and find it is dull or nicked I enjoy Woodsmith very much. Keep up the good work. I've been a subscriber for many years. I will try and pronounce James' last name, but that would be an insult to him. So I will just let it go as James W. from Utah. You know who you are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, January is a good time for that. When you yeah. get some shop time and spend some time doing that, so... And then one last comment from last week's podcast, we were talking about like what to do with like little tiny pieces. We were talking about material yeah. storage. Uh, DP Meyer writes for small, valuable wood, ebony, holly or knob size wood, etc. I have a special drawer for them and also use some of the clear plastic gallon containers, like the ones that Oots pretzels or Target cheese balls come in. The nice thing is mm -hmm. that I can see what's in the cl the clear container at a glance. Yep. Which is a good idea because a lot of those things are little tiny pieces. And yeah. if if you can't see them, they don't exist. Bingo. That's why I hate drawers and cabinets. I mean, I like to put stuff away and right. not see it. But then it's like, well, I don't ever use it if it's in a drawer or a cabinet. So it's a weird paradox. <laughs> yeah it is yeah and because and you have like two prime examples over your shoulders right there is bingo that tool cabinet and the saw till where saw till mm -hmm. saws are all visible yep. but it does contribute to does that contribute to visual clutter for you because i know you're not yes. really oh a, yes oh yes yeah? it does okay. yeah i mean <laughs> now <laughs> let me put it this way that half is perfect because those are all nice, fancy, like new saws. Sure. That half is like, those all need work. So that is visual clutter. The right half, when you're looking at it, the back saws, I'm like, oh, those are beautiful. Nicely right. made boutique saws, you know. The other side, apart from um, my one from Charlie, most of them are need work. So they're clutter and they're anxiety driving things. It's like, hey, you should fix those. Hey, you should clean those up. Hey, you should oh, sharpen yeah. those. Like every time I look at them. Right. Because uh, it's like, but, hey, you know. look back there. There are six projects you haven't finished yet. <laughs> I, I know. I know. So yeah, it's funny. I, I thought about something when right before we started podcasting, you asked Mark wandered through and you asked Mark about saw blade sharpening. Right. Um, because we did a shop cleanup there. Yep. Um, we got some meetings happening next week, so nothing like company coming over to clean your room. And we had a pile of saw blades. Okay. 
this is one of those like do as we say not as we do like <laughs> send your blades out to be sharpened at least your nice ones now i will say not all of our blades were nice ones no that's true we had a bunch of like diablo uh, i mean yeah, and they're utility, fine blades yeah. utility blades yeah um but i would be interested to hear from our readers like how many people send them out to be sharpened because i know there are certain things that if you have it professionally sharpened it's better than new okay um chainsaw chains that's a great example i buy a brand new chainsaw chain out of the box it'll cut well yeah if i file it with my filing gauge it will cut so much better oh okay um and the first thing if you see a professional logger and they put a new chain on first thing they do is file it hmm. so i would be i've i will tell you i have never had a blade sharpened okay i have and i will can i will attribute that to two reasons one I'm pretty diligent about switching blades between a rip blade and a, I don't have a true crosscut blade, but I have a combo blade. Okay. So I'm pretty diligent about, about doing that. I don't cut wet wood or green wood or sappy sticky wood. Um, so the, the, my cutting, the, the amount that each blade cuts is, is half of like a, a somebody that just leaves a combo blade in. Okay. So I don't really go through blades and this is kind of, this is the funny thing. This, I'm going to grab it quick. Because I know, I know that oh, Popwood got one of these. Woodsmith got one. We put, the, we put the Woodsmith one out on a free table and then shop guys started looking for it. And this was one of those things I'm like, this is sometimes tool Feels like a gimmick. Yeah. Sometimes tool manufacturers make a tool looking for a problem. Okay. And this. This is the micro jig blade clean. Okay. I'm like, okay, that's silly. We've had plenty of, we've had plenty of tools or uh, plenty of tips come across our desk on, you know, Hey, use a five gallon bucket lid to, to soak your blades or what, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like you can make it work. That stupid thing just works really nicely. Um, <laughs> And I think I told you that the other day and you said something about Mark was looking for the one that we had in the shop that we had given away to somebody. I don't know. Yeah. I actually don't know where, who ended up taking that um, because I already had the one for pop wood. Yeah. But, and that uh, was after the shop guys had, cause I had offered it to Mark yeah, and Steve and, they're like, no. and they like, no, that's dumb. It's a gimmick. And then they ordered one. Right. <laughs> so, and, and I will say, so I, I actually went through the other day. I was out here just, I think it was it was probably the day I was all pissed off after I couldn't get anything to start because it was negative 20 out and none of the diesel equipment would start and the shop was frozen. Uh, but I was out here and just cooling off before I went inside. I was like, I'm going to clean, I'm going to clean my, my, I have a forest woodworker two combo blade. That's kind of my, like my, that's my, my cross cutting blade. Um, and I knew the teeth were a little gummed up from all this alder. Right. So I was like, I'm going to whip this thing out and, clean the blade with it it works so well like i'm like <laughs> this is so stupid because like i mean yeah you could just spray a blade down with like simple green let it soak for a few minutes and then scrub it with a brass brush yep that's fine this thing 
has an, a magnetic handle on it, okay? And when you open up the container, inside there is a giant wheel of, like, Scotch-Brite. Yes. So what you do is you put a little cleaner in there, enough that if you push on the Scotch-Brite, you can see the cleaner come through. You don't, like, fill it up to soak it. Like, you right. just put enough in there to dampen everything. And then you hold your blade with this magnetic handle, push it down, and you spin it. And then you do the other side, and you spin it. And you spin it opposite the rotation of the teeth so they don't grab the, the scotch brake. And, my God, it works super well. Um, it doesn't clean down into the gullets, but that doesn't really matter. The gullets don't really matter. The gullets are just there to remove um, sawdust. Right. So... Yeah. As long as the edges, the edges of the teeth are the things that will cause burning. Yes. If a blade is dull. Yeah. Or if, if yeah, a blade's gummed up. Yeah. It's all the goop that collects yep. like right behind the cutting edge. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? For, I don't know what that thing runs like 30 bucks, something like that. The, my only issue with it is it's just a little big. So now I got to find like, it would be cool if it was like a nano size where it would just would, it would just fit a 10 inch blade. Yeah, that would be cool, um, because right now that thing's probably eighteen inches across. It's it's bigger than my truck steering wheel, um, but man, I mean the nice the nice thing about that though compared to the other ones is if you do want to get in there and floss between yeah. all the teeth, you can get in there with a brass brush and it's deep enough that it's going to collect all that overspray. Because when you do the five gallon bucket thing or the pizza tray you know, like we've used around here. You're splattering. It's splattering everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, yeah. that contains it. And I will, I mean, and inside the lid, there's this little foam holder for router bits. So you can stick your router bits in the lid and soak your router bits and do the same thing to router bits. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it is well thought out. Um, yeah. But, but I would be interested to hear if anybody has had their blades sent out to be professionally sharpened where you have sent them. I know Forrest will do blades, or they used to pre-COVID. I don't know if they still do. I would yeah. expect that they do. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting to hear what your experiences were. Um, we had, And what the cost is on that. Yeah, because like if it's 45 to 50 bucks to have a blade sharpened, it's not worth sending like a Diablo combo blade to be right. sharpened, you know, but if you have a nice forest, that's, you know, 150 bucks, then it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, so I'd be interested to hear what people think. Yeah. Um, I, I do know when I was looking for carbide tipped bandsaw blades for this big crescent, um, the Laguna, I think it was Laguna. Um, they have the Resaw King carbide tip blades. Um, they said that their carbide tipped bandsaw blades could be resharpened up to four times. Whoa. And I think that, I think they offer it, um, or maybe it was Woodmiser. Somebody offered it. Um, yeah. You know, most, I, I think most, most bandsaw blades, people aren't going to bother with sharpening. No, I don't think so. I've seen uh, fine woodworking in one of their issues. Was it a tools and shops a couple of years ago? A guy can't had a jig for with a Dremel. Yeah, that and would I've index seen it, and and it looked pretty cool. And it's one of those things where it's like I'm just cheap enough to try that just to see what <laughs> it's like. Because yeah, I mean, 
I mean, yeah. I, I use uh, wood slicer blades on my bandsaw. That's pretty much yep. the only blade I keep on there. And I mean, we've all hit the knot or the weird nail or yeah. whatever. And it's like, no. yep. Yeah. And I've, I have, I have strongly considered doing that on the sawmill, especially yeah. when I get down to like no blades. Although my, my buddy Bobby has bought uh, a sharpener now. So we just run over there and him and I will stand there for two hours, sharpen, you know, box of 10 blades and call yeah. it good. But <clears throat> getting down to like that last blade, I'm like, boy, I've seen guys just grab a, a standard grinding stone and sit there and just zip, 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 yeah. and, and just spit. You leave it on the saw and you just sit there and, and go because really you're only hitting the gullet and the inside face of the tooth. And yes. like, like a true sharpener, like, like Bob sharpener that we use on the bandsaw blades for the mills. Um, those will remove material from the inside face of the tooth. So the inside, the hook, um, the gullet and the top of the next tooth. So it basically is a full grind. Oh, and the okay. reason for that on the sawmill is that you get um, hairline fractures inside the gullet. So oh. if you don't sharpen, quote, sharpen or remove some material from the, the gullet, those cracks can continue and that will lead to a, a broken blade. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that's probably the case with a bandsaw in our shop. Probably um, not. I mean, I mean, maybe, um, but I mean, most of the time they're just they're either not worth sharpening because they're so inexpensive or the teeth are so fine. It's like, how are you going to sharpen that? You know, rather than, you know, I mean, sitting there with a chainsaw file and just, (laughs) which I mean, I guess you could do. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this was an Instagram post. Uh, I think he's in Houston. Clark Kellogg is a woodworker. He has a, big humongous bandsaw and he just he had a dremel and he was just doing it freehand and just basically going through and touching it up and it was mostly to let's just say to remove the wear bevel from the teeth yeah and touching it up i i don't think he would even call it a full sharpen and he says he can do that maybe twice on a blade just to get it back into shape and and i could i could see that especially with like I don't know. I don't know that I'd do it like on a little 14 inch. I mean, you probably, you probably could, but I could see doing that like on, on my big crescent. Like if right. I had a, like a, you know, three quarter teeth per inch or something like that, or it's a pretty aggressive <clears throat> resaw blade. Yeah. I mean, that blade's almost 20 foot long, so it would take a while still, but you at that point only have 200 some teeth to sharpen and, with a Dremel, you can go pretty quick, I would think. Um, and you don't really have to worry about or worry about um, angles because those teeth are ground square and then they're set. So there's no, you know, rake or flame angles or any of that stuff. Um, yeah. So you don't have to, don't have to worry about that. Um, right. Where with a saw blade you do. I have seen, and I don't know how, how well this works. I have seen where people will set up like, like our diamond credit card stones that we, we sell on their table saw, like with a table saw jig to sharpen their table saw blade on oh. the face of the, the, the tooth yeah. with that. Um, yeah, I would, I'd prefer to send it to somebody that knows what they're doing. Right. Especially, especially if it's like my nice forest blade or a nice, you know, Ridge carbide blade or some something like that. Yeah. 
no, that's what I, and I feel like this is where the contrarian kicks in on me and I blame my mother, but, uh, you know, it used to be in the pre carbide to saw blade days, like there was a guy on every block who had yeah. some kind of Foley machine that would sharpen table saw blades. Yeah. And it was an easy side hustle cottage industry to kind of get into. Whereas now with carbide teeth, there is a lot more of a complex geometry going on yep. on each of those little carbide teeth. And most places where you have them sharpened they're done on a cnc machine yep and it's with, a with diamond type stones yeah and it's a vending machine sized unit that i can't imagine what it costs but yeah. you know there's upkeep on it and training to make sure it's done right and blah 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 totally get it but it just is one of those industrialization of some process that people used to know how to do yeah yeah so but yeah, I would love if you, here's what I would like to know from our listeners is have you sent them out for sharpening? Where do you do that? Is there someplace local or are you sending it back to the manufacturer? How expensive was it? And what was the experience? Like what's the turnaround time on that? You know, yeah. because if you're sending it out to a manufacturer, whoever it is, I mean, that means you gotta, you're either not woodworking in that time or you have several blades that you're choosing from. So then there's that, that kind of cost. And I know that there's a lot of our listeners who are of the thrifty persuasion that just like getting by on what they can get by on. So where, where does that go? Cause I also know that there are those same woodworkers that will scoff at the micro jig blade cleaner thing because it's something that oh, yeah. you can just as easily do with whatever your solution is. And if you have yeah. another solution, I want to know about it. Put that in the comment section or send yep. us an email. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. Uh, so, so here is forest still does it. Okay. It looks like the cost for a forest blade, um, a diameter through 12 inches. Okay. Um, a 32 to 40, TPI or the tooth blade is $27, which isn't bad. Um, no. they, they give you, uh, they have, you know, straight and bent plates, you know, add teeth, you know, all those little add-ons, you know, you can have them fix teeth that are missing, you know, replace a tip is $8, replace two tips is $6 each replacing three is four seventy five each, you know, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but then they also have their shipping cost, 10 inch diameter and under the first blades, 15 bucks, second blades, three bucks. So I think if you're going to do it right, you know, and this makes more sense for somebody like us or a cabinet shop, it's like, hey, get a pile of blades. And then you send, the, you know, like eight in at once. Yeah. And then you get eight fresh, clean pairs of undies back, you know? Yeah. So. No. Yeah, because I know that. The Des Moines area, it's not a big town, but it's not small either. And there used to be probably three or four places that did sharpening, including a branch of a kind of a national blade and bit distributor, wholesaler, whatever, that had a place in town. And I don't know 
there's maybe one place in town now that does it. Yeah, I don't know. And so even then, I, I don't know. Yeah. I know that um, Acme used to do it. Yeah. Acme Tool. They don't anymore. Um, the, the other one that I had used the print shop uh, a lot um, was KSW Corporation. Um, they're over I think that's the one that I was that's yeah. the one I was thinking of because I would yeah. sometimes see their trucks driving around to some of the different cabinet shops and yep. whatever and, um, and they're they're I mean they're more of like an industrial type um, blade maker and sharpener right but I don't know if they do carbide um, they I used to send our big guillotine knives to them to yeah. sharpen um, I mean yeah those those were carbide so I mean they'd have to yeah, because um, they would, at least on the side of their truck, they had offered, you know, even router bit sharpening. So Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they would do a, they, I know that they would do a lot of, um, it was called it, KSW, it was Kiosaw Works is what it was. It started as they were on Kioa. They're not on Kio anymore. Um, but they do a lot of like butchery saws. So a lot of, you know, meat saws and stuff like that, which is kind of interesting, you know, grinding, grinding knives for, um, you know, like a meat grinder, industrial meat grinders, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. That's what we want to know. Then that would be a side question too, is what about router bits? I think most people just recycle mm. those, but Yeah. Or you just keep burning your wood with them. Yeah. It's like, I already have that profile. It just needs a lot of sanding when it's done. <laughs> Which is one thing I hate doing. I refuse to sand route, like routed profiles. I hate that. Yeah. I hate it. So. No, that's not, it's not good. And we won't even get into drill bits. No, no. All right. There you go. Mm-hmm. So now that you have your saw till done, do you have another pop wood project that you're going to be working on? Yep. I'm going to be working on two different ones simultaneously. All right. I think, well, I'll probably pound out one first because I think it's going to be pretty quick. <laughs> Famous last words. Right. Um, I'm going to do the next issue. I'm going to do like three quick shop storage projects. So just kind of like little like shop storage things, like a push block holder for the, uh, jointer, um, maybe like a, a a clamp rack designed to hold like two layers of clamps. Um, you know, maybe parallel clamps and bar clamps or something like that. F style clamps sure. and bar clamps. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out what the third one's going to be. Um, we were talking about like a little like shop type ballet, kind of like a, a shelf that you can put around your shop for tools or uh, pencils and and tape measures and rulers and stuff like that. Um, I also thought. Um, I got a nice uh, set of Brad Point bits. I don't know where they're at. Uh, I got a nice set of Brad Point bits for Christmas. Um, the fish brand, fish, fish, fish uh, brand from Sweden. Um, and they came in a, they didn't come in a case. So I was like oh. looking on Amazon, like, oh, can I buy, I mean, I can buy a drill bit index yeah. on Amazon. But I was thinking, oh, you know, we could do, a, I could do a quick little drill bit um index little shot made wood one something like that um so that is one project i also really need to start on a miter saw station for in here oh yeah um you know there's there's kind of things in here that i'm wanting to build out 
um, miter saw station. You know, we always show miter saw stations and a lot of people, a lot of people have ripped off our miter saw stations and sell them. Um, but we've always shown like kind of the roll around fold out type miter saw stations that people can, you know, yeah. have in a garage shop and, and push out of the way. And those are cool, but you know, there is a portion of people that have bigger shops that are fully set up and don't get tore down. Um, so I'm going to do a, um, you know, cabinet base style miter saw station. Um, okay. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to base it on the one that we have in our magazine shop there where Phil is, but, um, that one's pretty, pretty complex for what it is. Um, it uses frame and panel type construction, yeah. um, which I actually don't, I don't mind that. And I might do that. Um, I might do the frame and panel type construction, um, rather than like a sheet good type construction. Um, so we'll see. Um, but that one, I, I will be starting here fairly soon. Um, I don't think that's going to be a, a huge article because it's going to be like, you know, Hey, here's, here's the frame and panel cabinet style easy yeah. to make. And I'm actually, you know, crucify me, everybody. I'm going to use the domino to do it. I think. Um, All right. so I'm going to show dominoes. I mean, you could easily dowel it, you know, whatever. Um, so I think it's going to be, you know, Hey, here's how you build one of the base cabinets. And then here's the option for doors and shelves. Here's an option for drawers. Um, and here's how I'm building a flat countertop. That's going to hold my Meyer saw. Um, and I also have a, I have a company that I had a call with a couple of weeks ago. Um, called Red House Tools. They are making these really nice uh, miter saw wings. Um, so I told them um, they wanted to get their wings into the magazine. I was like, well, if you send us that, you know, we'll, we'll get them in the new tools section, you know, as long as they're, they're quality, which they appear to be. They've had really good uh, response at the shows they've gone to. Um, they actually were on Wood Magazine's Innovation Awards this year. Okay. Um, but I also told them that, I, I was getting ready to build this miter saw station and I'd love to kind of include them in that plan style um, because they're, they're an interesting concept for wings. I really like the Beesmeyer style miter saw wings. We have those in the shop. I really like those. Those are super cool. They're, they're very nice, but nobody makes that style anymore. Um, yeah. Woodpeckers, I think has a similar one. Um, initially a year ago when I was kind of planning the shop and planning on a Meyer saw station, I was thinking, okay, maybe for the Meyer saw station, I'll, I'll go down the, the, uh, path of, you know, like using some, you know, uh, extruded aluminum tubing and, you know, like the 80, 40 channel, stuff like that. Um, yeah, but you can, I mean, there's, I mean, you could, you absolutely could. Yeah. yeah. I just, I think for accessibility for people and, and not to make it super expensive to put together. I mean, don't get me wrong. The miter saw outfeed wings are they're 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 pretty pricey and I'll probably show an option to, you know, build some out of plywood. But you know. Yeah. No, so, I think yeah. it, what's interesting is you have a tool like a miter saw where There are very different philosophies on how you use it, even though it's the same tool. Yeah. And you have the people who, us included, will show a miter saw station and it's essentially a cart. It's a portable thing because when you're done miter sawing, 
you fold up the wings and you basically try and find a place where this thing is out of your way. And then there are, there's the, the miter saw is an important part of the construction process throughout. And you want that set up all the time, like you're saying, or like we have in our production shop. Yeah. And, you know, you can have it as a, let's just call it a big countertop with the saw on it. And then you could park a bunch of carts underneath it or make cabinet bases. And then that becomes your hardware store or built it into a lumber rack or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. a cool project. Well, and I think, I think fundamentally there's a di like, there are two opinions on the minor. saw. we talked and we talked about this the other day, like there are two opinions on a minor saw people that say, you cannot get a finished cut off of a miter saw. Right. And then there are the trim carpenters that say, F you, buddy. I sure can. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that um, if you have a properly set up miter saw, you take the time to build a nice miter saw station. You have a good zero clearance insert on it. You have a nice blade on it. I think you can get as clean a cut off a miter saw as you can on a table saw. Yes. I would, and I, think, I agree too. Yeah. And I think in some cases it is easier to get a clean and square cut off a miter saw than it is on a table saw. And I say that thinking about something like a bed rail. Okay. Those are 85, 86 inches long. Right trying to cut that on a table saw it's a pain in the butt because even with a big sled it's still sagging you have to clamp it like there's a lot there's a lot of variables there's a lot of forces fighting against you yeah where if you have a well-built miter saw station or your miter saw is set up well and it's tuned up well and you have a good blade a whole lot easier just to pull that blade down into the work than try to move the work across the blade yeah so um, I also feel like if you have kids or young people in your shop, miter saw is a better way to cross cut than the table saw. Okay. Why do you say that? Um, I say that because it is, there's, they are controlling the blade and not the part. Okay. So it's like, Hey, you know, if, like in our, so in my high school shop, we were not allowed to cross cut on the table saw. We cross cut on the radial arm saw. Was, that's where we cross cut. Sure. Because there was on the bed painted a red, red area. Hands don't go here. So it was like, as long as your hand's not in the red, you're fine. Yeah. Um, whereas with the table saw, I don't know. There's just, there's more that can happen. Rather than, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about radial arm saw. I'm, I'm talking about a miter saw where it is yeah. a simple pull down and that's all you're doing. Yeah. So. Yep. No, I would agree too. And I think that there's, I think it's interesting that people don't hesitate within reason to change out blades on their table saw to go from cross cutting to ripping to putting in a dado blade, but on a miter saw and we're prime examples of it. 
is we put in a really nice blade. And then the first thing somebody does is we get a delivery from Liberty and somebody just starts whacking up <laughs> 12 quarter boards <laughs> with an 82 uh-huh. crosscut blade. And then we wonder why we don't get decent cuts. You know, yep. it's like, if you're, what are you using your miter saw for? Is it just a breakdown tool? Then don't spend a lot of money on a blade. You're just yep. lopping boards to rough length and you're going to finish them somewhere else. Totally Bingo. cool. Do yep. that. But don't spend 45 minutes to put in a new zero clearance insert and a hundred some bucks on a really nice cross cut blade and nice stops and, you know, making sure your fence is all aligned, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If, if that's all you're going to do with, or if that's what you're going to do with it, you know, yep. learn yep. how to change the blade in your miter saw quickly mm-hmm. and go from the junky blade that's just cutting boards to the blade where you're finished cut blade yep. fit where you're making finished cuts and yep. acknowledge that. Yeah. I also am not a fan of, and I have one. Um, I'm not a fan of having a miter saw on one of those rolling, like, fold up job site type stands. Oh yeah. I grew, I grew up with my dad having his, my, he has, he has an, you know, gosh, it's 30 years old now. It's a rigid Meyer saw, a sliding compound Meyer saw. He was so proud of that thing when he bought it. And now it's like, it's in the rain, eh, you know, uh, <laughs> he's, so he's so proud of that saw. And then when we were, uh, we were trimming a basement or something, he's like, oh, I'm going to buy a nice blade for it. So we bought a nice blade. Um, and now like I, I've borrowed that saw, not, I mean, now I have my own, but like I, I had borrowed that saw. It's like, boy, that really nice blade he bought is now rusty because it's been used a thousand different times, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about a, a saw that needs a new blade. Um, it, it's, I'm just not a fan of those rolling stands. Like they're fine for the job site. Like if you're, if you're framing, sure. No problem. If you're yeah. building a shed in your backyard, cool. I just, they're not rigid enough for the type of work I want to do in my shop. So, you know, and, and if they are for people, cool, great. Awesome. You know, that's, that that's awesome. But I have the space and I have the need and desire for a, for a solid stand. So, yeah, no, I will cool. not be including a dust collection hood around it because they still don't work. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid dust collection hoods. For, I mean, and minor saw dust collection is not good anyway. So, Right. No, there's just no way to get the amount of airflow you need where you need it. Nope. And not, and being able to accommodate mitering. If you're just doing straight up 90 degree cuts, I think you could do yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody somewhere has a 3d printed shroud that magnets on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could probably do it, but yeah. well, I'm thinking, uh, uh, Frank Howarth, Mm-hmm. on youtube has he is very dedicated to his radial arm saws and yeah. he's got he's a dedicated of, to a lot of things <laughs> right he's got a he's got a dust collection set up for the radial arm saw that i think is pretty sweet and i always feel like there's got to be a way to adapt that for a miter saw but allowing for mitering or bevel cuts then i think that that starts to fall down but again it depends yeah. on what you what you what you want to use your miter saw for yeah allegedly the capex has the best dust collection out of any miter saw okay so i don't know i i don't know what the capex does different um but 
I still don't believe it. Don't believe it till I see it. <laughs> don't believe it till I can set my cup of coffee there and not have to spit out the first sip. There you go. So no, those are the those are the two Popwood projects coming up. And then I mean I still got like a lot of projects to do out here, like finish my office and stuff like that, finish trimming and stuff. But that's that's a problem. That's future self problems. <laughs> I do, I I do need to come up with some solution for my outfeed table. Um, I I built my outfeed table for my basement shop, so the outfeed table ran the width of my wing, which is I have a thirty six inch fence on my saw. Yeah. So it was set up for that 36 inch width of the saw. I could walk all the way around it. It basically made it a big table saw island. Yeah. Um, now I have it set lengthwise. So I can kind of squeeze my big butt between the wall and the outfeed table. Right. And the problem is the top I built sagged really bad. And I did not expect this. And I don't know if it sagged as a yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, I know the answer. Um, it, it's two layers of MDF glued and screwed together. Okay. Uh-huh. I put plastic laminate over the top and then I edged it in pine. Um, and it was per, it stayed pretty flat for a long time until I routed a bunch of match fit tracks in it. I routed a grid of match fit tracks for match fit clamps from Microjig. I essentially curve bent this top by doing that yeah which i did not think about and then i slid a board across there one day i'm like or i was i was trying to glue something up i don't know what i was trying to glue up oh it was my kumiko wall shelf that's what it was and i'm like there is something crazy and there's like a quarter inch of sag in the middle of this thing wow yeah so i'm like okay dumbass this needs a change like i mean i didn't i just did not think of it i did not think it through when i did it um, I like the system. I like the match fit clamp system. Um, and I will probably incorporate that, but I do need to do an outfeed table. I'm going to do it like a torsion box style outfeed table. Okay. Um, do the, do the match fit track in the top still, because I still, I still still really like that. Um, but I also think that I do want to change the size of it a little bit, which might mean taking an angle grinder to my Craig base that I have and mm. cutting it down. Um, which, I mean, just because, you know, a manufacturer sells something at a particular size, doesn't mean it doesn't have to stay at size, especially if you have a way to cut it. So mm-hmm. I might chop that, end up chopping that down. So that is, that is right behind the miter saw station, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave those in the comments section on our YouTube channel where you can check all the other videos that we do. Uh, You can also send me an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by the people who support us by subscribing to Shop Notes magazine. Uh, You can get four digital issues a year for a great price. I think currently $20 and also check out our printed yearbook from 2023 of all the issues from that volume year as well. Check that out at shopnotes.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.